So what a morning, isn't this? This is amazing. So uh, kudos to the crew that we're setting up. We got everything set up and put under tarps before the rain came. And uh, we've had in interesting experiences. You know, we obviously talked to God a lot about this event. And so over the years, we've had some interesting weather experiences and uh, with it. But every time we've been able to do everything that we had planned. Uh, and so we're very grateful for how the Lord has, has given us the protection. And for those of you that endured the hot dog roller experience two years ago in our parking lot. How many of you are there that you got roasted two years ago in our parking lot? All right. We all survived. And, uh, and now we get to have this day. And so for those of us that experienced that, we're really grateful for this morning. And uh, so my name is Tony. I'm pastor at LEFC. And uh, we at LEFC operate by a collaboration of many people who call upon God as God. And Jesus, his son, is the redeemer by whose name we carry. And we want to bring good news here this morning to you all. And so it's my privilege to do so. And we're going to be in some scriptures today. But before we get there, I want to just tell a quick story. So in 2018, I had the privilege of traveling to Israel. And when you go to Israel, you make a lot of plans of, of what things you're excited to see. So I grew up a lot of my life reading the scriptures and reading all these stories. And so to be able to go to the place where these stories happened, I was excited. And so things like going to the Sea of Galilee and seeing what can happen at the Sea of Galilee. There's so many things that, that God did there, especially Jesus' first year of ministry, primarily was right around the Sea of Galilee. And then to go to Mount Carmel, where you could see where Elijah called down the fire of God uh, on that hill. And then Nazareth, to stand at the place where, where Jesus literally was going to be pushed off of a cliff by those who were his family. And so I would just say that there was a lot of things I was excited about, but I thought the, the pinnacle of it all would be to get to the Temple Mount, to actually see Jerusalem. And so to come on to uh, Mount of Olives, which is on the east side of the city, and just look over the entire uh, camp, the, the entire hill of Jerusalem. It was amazing. But nothing caused me to be more surprised than my experience in a home in Haifa in Israel. See, I live in a neighborhood in Rossville. And on my street is a family where the father is of Lebanese descent. And she grew up in Israel as an Israeli Arab. And we had built a relationship. And when she found out I was going to Israel, which is where she grew up and where her family lives, uh, we kind of talked about, I would love to meet her family. And so through a lot of logistical uh, works by those who were leading our trip and, and then for their, their family, we were able to make it happen where I could join them for a dinner. So we drive to Haifa, which is along the, the coast of the Mediterranean, and uh, we pull up to Haifa, up to this high, high building. It was a, a, more of an apartment-looking building, but it was uh, living flats, if you understand what I mean. And, and they met me at the door. I said goodbye to those that I was traveling with, and I went into their home. And as soon as I walked in, as soon as I walked in, I realized I was in for something I had un not expected. 
Because when I walked in that door, they had invited family, multiple family members to come to that, that meal. The table was long and it had a lot of seats at it and, and it was well decorated. The food smelled amazing. And everybody had smiles on their face and were greeting with just huge uh, aspects of like welcome, making, I was a person of privilege in that moment and they had expected me. Now to them, I am merely a stranger who lives near their family in the States. That's all they know me as. There's no connection other than that. But they pulled out all the stops and I felt honored at their table. And when somebody goes to that kind of effort to welcome you to their table, when they pull out all the stops where they provide the best of food, they have the table dressed beautifully, and then they even invite others so that they can meet you, You've, your heart all of a sudden becomes soft. Now, I didn't know what to expect. I only know anything about those in Israel that are not Jewish as being somebody that our media often portrays as being upset all the time. And so Israeli Arab, I was unfamiliar with what that meant. They were actually Israeli Arab Catholics. And so they, they were of, of Christian uh, heritage, uh, but they were of Arab, uh, you know, Arab descent. And so I didn't know what to expect. And so as I sat at their table, I wanted to hear from them. They had much they wanted to share with me about life in Israel. And it was amazing. And my heart was willing to be moved and, and to understand some of their plight, uh, the challenges. Like they were, they were for the Israeli government, but they also were frustrated by the Israeli government. And, and so to hear their story as to why, I was like, you know, it made me a little bit more softer to what they had to say. Because they had opened up their table for me. There is a story we're going to look at today that happens in Luke chapter 15 that we're going to, I'm going to ask you if you have a Bible app. So at LESC, we use what is called the YouVersion Bible app. Uh, you'll see a symbol of it up on the screen behind me. And you, you can use that Bible app to go to the scriptures we're going to be at today. And we're going to be looking at a moment where Jesus was invited to a table and at that table were some people that were not of the same kind as he was, if you will. They were tax collectors. They were sinners. Uh, they were Gentiles. They were the undesirables by those who were, you know, Jewish. The Jewish people would like say, you know, undesirable. And Jesus himself being Jewish, you know, you could have taken on that, you know, that particular set of rules, of social rules that he had. But he ends up sitting with them and dining with them and doing this multiple times throughout his ministry. And he was beginning to get a reputation of sitting with the undesirables and eating with them. So let's look at Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 1. It says this, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. So you have a contrast of vision. You have the religious leaders. I mean the pastors of his day. That are looking at who he's eating with and saying. 
Those are the wrong people to eat with, and you're doing so in the wrong place. Jesus, meanwhile, is thinking, this is exactly where I should be eating. This is with whom I should be eating. And there's a reason why I'm eating here. They're critiquing saying, Jesus, you must not really, really know who you're eating with. You don't know all the things they might have done. Why would you defile yourself and even eating with such a people? So how does Jesus handle this accusation in this moment? I mean, he's got a different vision. He's being very open to who he invites to his table. They're being very selective. What does he do? Well, first of all, he understands. He discerns the moment. He knows that there is a heart problem with the religious leaders of that day. He knows there's a heart issue. He also knows they have a theological issue. They do not understand the true realities of God's heart. So they have studied God but they've studied and understood him incorrectly. So he needs to realign them theologically and provoke their heart. So what does he do? He shares three stories. He shares three parables, short little snippets of, of things that can help somebody understand what he is saying in this moment. The first parable is very familiar to many of us. It's known as the story of the lost sheep. And it goes like this. Suppose one of you, and again, this is Jesus speaking to these Pharisees, these religious leaders who want to select who's at the table, and Jesus is wanting to welcome all to the table. So Jesus shares this parable and says this. Don't worry, I was already done with that page. So he shares this story. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep, and one of them is lost. Doesn't he leave the 99 sheep in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. So in this story, what is Jesus communicating? It's familiar to us. The 99 sheep, one lost. The shepherd goes after it. It's not satisfied with the 99. So you see in this that he's equating that, why would I sit at the table with people that you call sinners? Or why would you sit at the table of tax collectors, which would be rejected ones? Why would you do this? And he's like, well, it's like a shepherd. If I have 99 that are safe and are good, wouldn't I want to go and rescue the one who is not? Would I not want to have at my table the one that needs brought in to the fold? Well, that kind of stepped on their toes because this is basically opening the door. And they might be thinking, you realize what you're saying, Jesus? You're, you're making this the Wild West. There are no boundaries by, by what you just said. You're saying that if anybody is not in the place they should be with God, they should be brought to the table. Anyone who is lost, regardless of whatever their reputation is, should be brought to the table. And Jesus is giving that. So the statement is to, again, theologically align them better, is that God pursues all those 
who are lost. And that's good news for all of us. Because I would venture to guess that there is nobody perfect here. I would venture to guess that there are a lot of people that are actually have reputations that would be embarrassed if it was shared. But thank the Lord that his heart is, I don't care what you've done in the past. It's about where I want to take you into the future. I can fix what you've done in the past. I can cover that of what you've done in the past. I can pay for what you've done in the past. And I can bring you to my table and change you for what goes forward. And the beautiful thing at the end of this parable is he says this, that when he finds that lost sheep and that lost sheep comes into the fold, he says that there is a celebration in heaven. God celebrates with heaven each and every sinner who repents and comes to him. So anytime somebody comes to Jesus, there is a party in heaven. Now you can imagine that across the world, as people come to Jesus every day, there is a lot of celebration going on in heaven. And there was a moment when my name was the one being celebrated, that I've come to Jesus in that moment. There was a moment for many of you, you're going to hear stories at our baptism that's happening right after the service of people that have come to Jesus, some of them recently. And there was a party in heaven celebrating that they were, those who were once lost are now within the fold. Jesus doesn't stop there. In fact, it says in the writing, it says not only did he tell them this parable, but he, ha he keeps going on. It's like, you know what? I can explain this even more fully. Let me give you another parable. So then he gives you this, verse 8. It says, or suppose one, a woman who has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my last coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now this story about a lost coin, you know, why would she celebrate with her friends? You know, what's the big deal about finding two lost coins? Well, imagine... If those 10 coins that you have are the only coins you have, each coin's worth about a day's wages, and then you lose two of them, would you not look very hard and intensely to try to find them? You know, last week I was in a golf tournament. Now, some of you are going to be like, as soon as you hear golf, you're tuning out. Others of you, you're leaning out. It's like, all right, now you're talking my thing. So golf, last week in a tournament, I hit a beautiful drive. Hole number 10 at Iron Valley. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Hit a beautiful drive with just a cut fade. And we're like, that's going to be the drive we're going to use. Well, apparently I hit it into the rough a little bit. We could not find it. We looked, we looked, and I did not want to give up that shot. I wanted to use that shot. But you know, we're starting to frustrate the golfers behind us. So we had to move on. And we let it go. It wasn't that valuable that we stayed around to keep looking for it. But if it was my phone that I had lost, what do you think I would do? You So some of you, it's like your, all your credit card information's on your phone, all your address books on your phone, all your passwords are on your phone. If you lost your phone today,
Would you not be in this park till late tonight trying to find that phone? And then you would call some friends by somebody else's phone and say, can you come help me find my phone? And then they're here. And then you actually find the phone. Would you not celebrate finding the phone? Now imagine this. I took a team to Africa, a group of teenagers, and there's like 17 of us. One of them loses their passport. Now, I could just say, you know what? If we get back with 16, that's a pretty high percentage. I get an A back in America. <laughs> no, you can't leave one behind, right? You've got to bring them all back. And so... All of us are frantically look, looking for that single passport. We're looking everywhere for that passport. And there's tears for me and that person. Because I'm thinking, I want to go home. Because it's clear that if we don't find that passport, I'm staying back with this individual. So we're like looking everywhere for this passport. And finally, we found it in our purse. And we celebrated, and then we got on the vehicles and went to the airport. So when you lose something that's of incredible value, you are going to look for it hard. And, when, and if you're having a hard time finding it, you're going to look even harder and invite others to help you look. And then when you finally find it, you're going to celebrate. So what Jesus says with the lost sheep parable is that all people who are lost is who I'm going after. I'm going after all those who are lost. And the second parable tells them, and it's not just a passive looking. It's an intense looking. It's with energy. I'm looking with fervent passion, those who are lost. Because we can say that we're looking for something. Again, me looking for a golf ball is like I was looking. But I didn't look like there was so much depending upon it. It was a much different energy than when I was looking for that passport than when looking for a golf ball. And that's what Jesus is saying with this second parable. is like, not only am I... The older son had the right to father to inherit asking for part. And so it's an offense to the father. And in this case, the father... God and it's and, and, it's, and he used his He partied. He used it all for things that were were just fleeting. They weren't going to last. They weren't invested. It was just all spent. He got to that low point where he realized he had totally squandered everything, and he realized also, he realized also, that if I don't figure something out, I will die myself. And he thought, you know, if I go back to my dad, even if I am one of his hired servants, I will live better with, as a hired servant than I would right now living among the pigs, eating the pig's food. So we pick it up in verse 17 in Luke 15 when he says, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned and against you and against heaven. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. So make me like one of your hired servants. 
So he got up, went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. And he was filled with compassion for him. And so the father ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and he is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. So what you see here is that not only does the father pursue all who are lost. It's like I, I, I want to make sure anybody who is lost have a seat at my table so I can share my heart with them. Not only does he see that it's for all the lost, but he fervently goes out. He doesn't do it lightly. He searches intently for all who are lost. But what I love about this third and final story is this. Before the son even had opportunity to confess... The father welcomed him. You see, I think there's this big misnomer that's out there. That, that in order to come to God, somehow you have to get yourself clean. But what this story tells you is you come to God to get clean. You don't have to get yourself all right. You just need to know where to go. Go back to God. And then God embraces and welcomes you. You see, in his narrative, God pursues and receives the lost even before confession begins. Before we could ever even confess, God is already saying, come to my table. Come to my table. And like the other three parables, each time he says, and when we found that lost sheep, what does he do? We celebrate in heaven. When we find that lost coin, we celebrate in heaven. And here too, when this son returns, Jesus says, there is a celebration that happens for anyone who returns to God, repents, even if they have failed miserably. So what does this teach us about God? That God pursues all people. He pursues us. And that he receives us with passion. And restores us regardless of whatever junk we bring with us. Because he's in the business of healing and fixing that which is broken within us. So we come to his table as broken people. As people in need of him. And then we let him begin to do a work in our hearts. And it says that God celebrates every time somebody bends the knee and says, Okay, Jesus, receive me. Receive me. Heaven celebrates. And just like there was room at a table in Israel, in Haifa, Israel, that I was a complete stranger to, my heart got opened by the hospitality of those people. What Jesus shares in these parables is the hospitality of God is to invite all of us to his table, passionately, with excellence, pursuing us. 
and then receives us in spite of all the baggage that we might bring to the table. And when that happens, of course, our hearts open up. Of course, our hearts open up and say, God, help me. Receive me. Bring me to the table. So I think there's a message here for two groups of people. For those who already have a place at the table that have been dining with Jesus for years, the Spirit of Christ says our tables should be open to all people, regardless of whatever they come from, for regardless for whatever they label themselves as. We invite them to the table and we treat them with high honor and respect so that we can speak to their heart. But to those who have never sat at Jesus' table, to the table of this table, Jesus opens his arms regardless of whatever you come with. Because what he does once he receives you, he begins to change you day by day. I'm a much different person than I was 30 years ago because of what Jesus has done in my life. He will begin to make that work in your heart today if you receive him. Will you join me in prayer? So Father, I just want to begin by praying for the person that was just taken in ambulance. I pray that you'd protect them, keep them safe, and I pray that there'd be no harm to them in the name of Jesus. But now, Lord, I speak to those, speak to you before those I'm praying on behalf of. For all those who are already at your table, may we capture your heart, have good theology of understanding your heart, that we reach out to all people in all places with the good news of Jesus. That we aren't selective as to who comes to our table, that we invite freely because we know you for who you are. But God, I also know that there are some here that have never sat at your table to hear and receive from you. And I pray that this day, that they will. That they will come. They will seek to understand. They'll hear from your heart and then open their heart to you and receive you to change their life. I pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. I would ask at this point, as we begin to stand and have a closing song, that if you're one of our elders, would you come up front here and be available for anybody that just needs to talk to somebody about this invitation to the table. So any of our elders, uh, there are godly people that we would love to offer you, that if you have any questions about this Jesus, about this table, that you can come and talk to them during this time or at the end of the song. Let's stand as we sing of what God has done in our response to that.
Amen. Amen. What a joy this is to be a part of. Uh, Jesus tells us that when two or more are gathered in his name, there he is. It doesn't need to be in a building. We could gather in a park and here he is in our midst. And what a joy that is to be a part of. If anything was spoken here, if it was worship, if it was prayer, if anything moved or impacted you and you want to talk with someone, as Tony mentioned, we have our elders here up front. They would love to chat with you. Please, I know there's busyness, there's, there's food trucks, there's a dunk tank, but please don't let this moment pass. Please. There are people here that, that love Jesus, that have been walking with him, that would love to share. It's not that they have everything figured out. It's not that we, we're perfect and now we can teach you how to do that. It's we've been chasing after someone. We don't have to dress up before going to them. We don't have to dress up or become perfect before going to Jesus. We recognize that we need him. So please, if you want to chat, we have some people up front here that would love to do so.